Hey, this is Amanda, women's health dietitian. And I'm Emily, nutritional therapy practitioner. And this is the Are You Menstrual podcast, where we help you navigate the confusing world of women's hormones and teach you how to have healthy periods. Each week, we will be diving into a different topic on women's health and sharing our perspective using nutrition, female physiology, and metabolic health. Our goal is to help you wade through conflicting health information and empower you on your healing journey. We hope you enjoy it. Okay, I have what I think is a really fun episode for you guys today. I have a third trimester pregnancy update. So I was looking back and it's been about nine weeks since I did my first and second trimester like roundup where I went through all the lab testing I've done, different supplements I'm taking, changes I've made with nutrition, and just kind of what my experience has been or had been so far for pregnancy. And a lot of you really loved it, found it helpful. I went through lots of like morning sickness tips and stuff like that. The type, the programming that I'm following, I use that Mama Stay Fit program. And I decided I would do a third trimester one, but it's so funny. So I recorded that episode. I was like 27 weeks when I recorded it, released it, I had felt great. I've honestly felt great throughout my whole pregnancy. Like I, you're going to hear a lot of hiccups <laughs> that have happened the last couple months in this episode. I promise like it really hasn't been bad. It's nothing that I couldn't figure out and get through. Basically, as soon as that episode aired the, a week later, I wake up, I've got eczema around my eyes, like in the corners of my eyes. It is gone now, but uh, for the most part, I have pictures I'm going to share too. So you guys can see that. But eczema around my eyes. My pubic bone was killing me and I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what the heck is this? It just felt like things were just like tearing into. It was terrifying. A month later, I wake up and like my hands are numb and I have like carpal tunnel. So lots of great things have happened third trimester. Like obviously my belly's big now and it's really fun feeling her constantly and just like feeling so pregnant, you know, cause like for so long in pregnancy, you're kind of like, you don't even always look pregnant, but now it's like, I can feel where she is. Like her little feet are like right here and her body's like on my left side, her head is down, which is all, they're just great things. Hopefully she stays in this position and comes in a few weeks. There's so many like fun things, but I will say uh third trimester has been challenging. So I'm going to go through kind of like what happened in my third trimester. I also want to share this because I have like so many resources, right? I work in women's health. So like any issue I had, I know someone personally that can help me that's an expert in that. And so that's kind of the other reason why I'm like, yeah, like some things have like not been super fun, but I also just really couldn't be more grateful for my job because it really has helped me figure out like anytime something came up, I was able to like find someone to help me and also have the financial resources to do that. Cause it's not cheap. Um, especially when you're working one-on-one with people. So I'm hoping that I can share some of the information that I learned so that maybe if you don't have those resources, you at least have something that you can refer to and be like, okay, I'm going to at least try this and see if it will help. So let's dive in. And I have like all my notes over here as usual. So if you see me looking, it's because I don't want to leave anything out. Oh, and I'm going to end it. I'm going to do like rapid fire 
we'll see how rapid rapid fire questions. Cause I did put a question box in my Instagram stories to ask you guys, like, what do you want to know about my third trimester so far? And so I'll answer those at the end. So let's start with the eczema. I woke up, I had like a little bit of eczema in one of the corners of my eye. I didn't know what it was. I've never had eczema before, but I had recently interviewed my friend Krista for my podcast. So Luckily, I kind of had eczema on my brain and I was like, okay, this is a little weird, but I'm like, I'm not the kind of person that's going to freak out over things. Like, I'm just like, okay, weird. I'm moving on with my life. And then like, it kept getting worse and worse every day. And I'll have pictures that hopefully will come up in this video. I'm going to post them on my Instagram too, to kind of show like how bad it got. And then like how it progressed, like slowly got better over a couple months but it was like weird. It was irritating, red, itchy bumps. And I was like, I think this might be eczema. I thought it was acne at first because remember, I have a background of acne prone skin. That's always been my issue. So I was a little surprised that I got eczema. But then I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I... I had Krista on my podcast and I'll link the episode in the show notes, but I have, I have asthma. I don't have it anymore, but I was born like not breathing, had asthma as a kid. I was always on inhalers, did nebulizers every day. But as I got older and much healthier, I no longer struggle with it. But asthma is a really big one that puts you like at risk for eczema. Same thing with allergies. I don't have allergies, but my dad has really bad allergies. And one of my sisters does. So all those things like make you more prone to eczema. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I, I fit that category. So I took pictures of my skin. I reached out to my friend, Krista, and I was like, what is going on? I think this is eczema. And she's like, that does look like eczema and like a little bit of rosacea, like on my cheeks, which hopefully you'll see. Just like lots of irritation. My skin was very upset with me. So I sent her, I did a GI map right before I got pregnant last July. And uh, I sent that to her and I was like, can we talk about this? Can we go through tips? So. Luckily, I have her as a resource. We met. She was able to like explain everything to me and give me an idea like what she thought was going on. One thing on my GI map was that I did have very low secretory IgA or like lots of people call it SIG-A. So I had this low SIG-A level and that means that my immune system was like very low functioning and that it had probably been stressed out for a very long time, but nothing was really showing up. I didn't have a lot of good bacteria. I didn't really have any overgrowth. I didn't have any like candida or fungus or anything. So it was just kind of like a, a very like empty GI map that didn't tell us a ton. But when your SIGA is low like that, it usually means that there's other things going on. You just can't see it. So I got that in July. We, we conceived in August when my husband got home and I was like, I'm not going to do anything. Right. Like, what? what am I what am I going to do at this point? I'm now pregnant. There's not really a ton you can do for your gut during pregnancy. I took some colostrum for a few months, pretty much like my whole first trimester to try to support my immune system. And then I stopped second trimester with that. So because I was starting a probiotic for usually second trimester, it's ideal you take a probiotic to help you avoid getting a positive group B strep test, which I'll talk about. I took one of those today. So I did some stuff for my gut, but nothing crazy. I was eating more fermented foods because my beneficial bacteria was so low and like more prebiotic rich foods just to try to boost that. But none of those things helped the eczema. So basically my skin's flaring up when it's around your eyes. Krista was explaining to me that that is often liver related. So she's like, it's, you probably have some liver stress going on. 
again, like not much you can do during pregnancy for the liver, right? We're not really trying to stimulate or support detoxification. For me, it was more just like, okay, what can I do while pregnant to try to support my immune system and minimize any possible overgrowth I probably have going on in my gut that I'm just not quite seeing because of my low CIGA and my GI map. So I tried the colostrum again and it actually got worse. I took it for like three, four days. I was like, I think it's getting worse, but it's also hard to tell because my skin was already like progressively getting worse. But it was like just much more red around it and inflamed. So I was like, all right, I'm going to stop the colostrum. Instead, I took just regular immunoglobulins. That's what's in colostrum, but it's like a whole food version. So it's called Mega IgG 2000, one of my favorite gut supplements. And it also can like bind to things and get them out of the gut. So it's like a little bit of a gentle binder. I felt comfortable taking it during pregnancy because it's basically just like a dairy-free version of colostrum. Now, I have no issues with dairy. <laughs> I eat so much dairy. So that wasn't why I was using it, but it, that's like the easiest way to explain it. So I started taking that. I stopped taking the integrative therapeutics probiotic that I was using for GBS. Chris had mentioned that she does not think that that's helping. So I stopped that. And then I started Megasporbiotic, which is a spore-based probiotic, which can help if you have some overgrowth. So the combination of like the Mega IgG, the Megasporbiotic, I think worked really well for me. Pretty much as soon as I started taking the Mega IgG, my skin was less red. So that was very nice to see and much more comfortable. And then I also added in one other probiotic yeah, it was like the Probiophage DF. And that one has Streptococcus in it. So I was like a little nervous to take it, but it really did help with the eczema. So those three things, that's what I did for my gut. I stopped the fermented foods because I was like, this is not helping right now. When you have eczema, fermented foods often make it worse. And so then from there, I was like, all right, Krista recommended like we need a holistic approach. So like topicals, right? What am I using on my skin? I had been using skincare for acne prone skin because that's what I'm used to. In the first trimester, I definitely had a little bit of acne, especially like I was like barely pregnant, like five or six weeks in my skin. It was almost like an estrogen wave. Like I just had a bunch of acne come on and then it went away. So I swapped out skincare products that are basically for ones that are going to be like more supportive for like all the acne products. They were irritating my skin barrier. So that's why my skin was all like red and inflamed, especially like on my cheeks and around my chin, which you'll see. And so I met with Allie, who's an esthetician for my friend Robin, who also does skin stuff. If you don't follow at Nutrition by Robin on Instagram. She was on my podcast. We did an episode on acne and all the different types. And she has an esthetician on her staff that you can book consults with. If you go to clearskinlab.com, you can there's like like a button for like meet Allie. You can like see her background and everything. She was amazing. So basically Chris was like, you should get product recommendations for your skin issues right now because I don't think the acne prone skin products are helping. So I meet with Allie. She's amazing. I send her all these pictures of my face, how inflamed it is, all different angles. And then I filled out a very in-depth intake form. We met, she went through my current skincare products, made recommendations for different ones. 
And it was all just like very calming things to trying to reduce that inflammation, irritation in my skin. And that also helped a ton. So I'd already seen a little bit of improvement with the mega IgG and the mega spore. And then once I swapped my skincare products, like that really, really made a difference because my skin was not so irritated and it wasn't so dry. My skin was getting so dry and that's like never happened to me before. I'm usually like the opposite. I did also get a humidifier, which helped a ton. I got the canopy brand because it's like mold free and it's supposed to be really good. I love it. It's also nice because it's loud. So I like having noise at night when I sleep. It's like having a fan on. So that's what I did for the eczema piece. You guys probably hopefully listened to my lymphatic massage episode with Leah. And I had already been doing some head and neck uh, lymph massage like on myself. But once my eczema really kicked in, I was like every single day, every time I put my skincare products on, I just started doing it. So it was twice a day for the most part. Um, And I really do think that that helped too, because I got really consistent with it. I also think that helps with just not getting like fluid retention and stuff in my face. So it definitely helped with the redness. I was able to like drain that lymphatic fluid more. Plus like when you're constantly working on those subclavian vein lymph nodes, it's just great for your lymphatic system in general because that's where everything drains. So that was really helpful too. So that's everything I did. And for my eczema, you'll see it's it's pretty much gone now. Like maybe just like a teeny tiny bit in my left eye a little bit, like a couple bumps, but my skin's not irritated. I'm not worried about it anymore. Oh, and I increased my raw milk and I think that helped too. Cause I, I noticed this pretty significant difference after like a week of doing that. So that's what I did for eczema. If you struggle with it, know that it is very individual, like what's going to help you. But if you relate to anything that I shared, just trying to have like that full approach if you can. And just remembering like there's only so much you can do during pregnancy. So you just have to like do the best that you can. But lucky for me, mine ended up clearing up. So the next kind of big thing I struggled with was pubic pain. Pretty much right after that podcast, I like woke up one day and I stepped on my floor from my bed and I had like a shooting pain. I was like, ooh, that's weird. Um, This is new. And I kind of didn't really think anything of it. It went away. And then when I was working out one day, I was doing lunges and I got the pain again. And I was like, this is not good. It's something just fell off. So it progressively got worse over a few days to the point where I almost could not walk. Um, and mind you, this is when my husband was still deployed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like crawling around my house. This is ridiculous. So I reached out. I did see a pelvic floor PT at the beginning of my pregnancy. And she kind of just did a your typical eval, gave me things to work on throughout pregnancy, was like, let me know if you have any issues. But I didn't really need to keep seeing her. Like there was nothing I was specifically concerned about. But luckily I already had that relationship established and I was a client. So it was easy for me to be like, hey, think my vagina is tearing in two. Can I get an appointment? She got me in like a week later. It was great. I had a feeling after doing some research that it was my pubic bone, but it was, it just was weird. It was like hard to describe. And I feel like I wasn't getting the information I needed online. And then you don't know, it's like nutrition right? It's like, is this outdated information? Should I do any of these things? (laughs) So I pretty much waited. I just stopped doing any exercises that hurt, obviously. And then I just waited until I met with her and she evaluated me. She's like, it's definitely the pubic bone. 
sometimes it can be like the muscles around it. And sometimes it can be a pelvic floor issue, but there was nothing like within my pelvic floor that was painful or anything. It was really just for me, like isolated to the pubic bone completely. She mobilized my pubic bone, which is just as bad as it sounds. I was like covered in sweat. It hurt so bad, but I didn't have pain for like a week after that. So it was definitely worth it. If you have pubic symphysis pain and you can see a pelvic floor PT, I just cannot, but I can't, nothing was as helpful as seeing her and having her mobilize it. She also showed me how to do it, which now I like can't even do it because my belly's so big. But for a while I was doing it every few days. And so it's, it's basically, you're just like putting pressure on the joint and kind of moving it a little bit or holding the pressure, which again, like it is very painful, but it, for, it just like helps like calm everything down. And then it doesn't feel as tight. So she also showed me how to, same thing. It's kind of like massaging out like the muscles surrounding it and the ligaments surrounding it. You know, there's like some, definitely some tight, tight ligaments and muscles surrounding the pubic bone, which again, that's also going to lead to more pain. So I, she did that, showed me how to do it. I did it at her office so that she could make sure like, yes, like you're definitely doing this right. And then after I mobilized it, I was like icing it. And that helped a ton for me. And honestly, just like adding in certain exercises, like she recommended adding in like some adductor stuff. Like, so putting like ankle weights on, laying on my side and doing like leg lifts with the bottom leg and then switching sides. I do those every single day. Now that has definitely helped, especially like before I'm going to squat or do lower body workouts. I always make sure I engage those adductors. And before I get out of bed, I do the same thing. Like I'll just put my hands on the inner, the insides of my knees and like push my knees in. And it hurts a little bit, especially if you've been laying for a long time. That's like, I have to like keep moving. And I think most women that are at this stage of pregnancy feel that way. But if I don't move for a long time, it hurts more. So before I get up, I'll just like, you know, do those inner thigh like squeezes, activate my muscles a little bit. So doing that, avoiding things like any type of lunge for me is like just a no. As far as exercises go, it's going to be what bothers you. Some people can't do squats. Those do not bother me. Front lunges or side lunges really get me. Um, Obviously it's like stretching them a lot. So anything like that, I just don't do. And that has really worked, believe it or not. Probably the most effective thing is doing taking those exercises out, adding the adductor exercises in, and then doing a little bit of that mobilization. So if you can't see a pelvic floor PT and you have pubic pain, I would honestly, I bet they have something on YouTube. What do they not have on YouTube that you could like how to mobilize the pubic bone? But it's honestly just like putting pressure, massaging the muscles around it, icing it. Icing it was really effective for me. And then, you know, just being mindful with what movements bother you and avoiding those if you can. And then keeping my legs together. Like she's like, when you get out of the car, it's like your instinct to want to just get out with one leg, like put both your legs to the side, then get out. That's also better for your pelvic floor especially at the end of pregnancy and for the positioning of the baby. So either way, you'd probably be doing that towards the end anyway. I just did it a little bit sooner than most people would. And then I, I lowered my weights a lot. So anytime I felt any pain working out, I just would not go as heavy. And I think that's probably been one of the harder things to figure out during this pregnancy is like working out and like what feels good. And cause sometimes things don't bother me, but then the next day I'm like, Ooh, I like don't feel great. And I think it's from what my workout was 
the previous day. So it's, it's been like a learning curve. I definitely would not do certain exercises past a certain point. Like the side lunges, I just wouldn't do it past like probably like 25 weeks next time. I'm very flexible and I don't think that helped me. I think that made things worse or I'd modify movements like that sooner just to like avoid that like separation of that pubic bone. So that was my pubic pain. Eczema, pubic pain, we'll talk about carpal tunnel (laughs) and then I'll answer your questions. But again, the pubic pain is, I would say it's pretty much gone now. I just have to make sure I'm like on top of like doing the exercises and stuff every day. So carpal tunnel. So I hit 34 weeks and it's so funny because I was talking to some women at the gym. I go to Mama Stay Fit, her in-person gym, uh, not like a couple times a month. And I was talking to someone there and I, I was something with, they were asking me how I was feeling. I was like, yeah, I'm great. Just got this carpal tunnel. And all the women in the room were like, oh yeah, I had that during pregnancy too. And I'm like, then how come no one talks about it? <laughs> I feel like I've, I've heard, I've had clients that have had carpal tunnel in pregnancy. I haven't really had any friends that have like mentioned it. As soon as I start talking about it, half of them are like, oh yeah, I had carpal tunnel. So apparently it's a very common thing. 30 to 60% of pregnant women will experience carpal tunnel during pregnancy it really only bothers me at nighttime. So I was finding, I was like, I'd be sleeping and I've had really good sleep throughout my pregnancy. As long as I eat enough and I have my like huge thing of adrenal cocktail every single day. Um, so I've been very lucky in that department and I was starting to wake up and my hands were tingling and I'm like, my fingers would hurt in the morning. I'm like, man, this is like so weird. And then I look it up. I talk to my midwife. She's like, yep, that's carpal tunnel. It happens a lot in pregnancy, like towards the end, because you have a lot more fluid in your body. And when you lay down and sleep at night, all that fluid goes up. And so then it goes into your arms and into the forearms. And then it leads to like your hands like swelling and falling asleep and stuff. So super fun times. It just puts like pressure on the nerve in your wrist, that swelling. And so it feels just like carpal tunnel. The next morning, my hands are like sore and I can't straighten my fingers all the way. It's super fun. And basically they're kind of like, well, there's not really a ton that you can do. You can elevate your head of the bed. So I I did that and that helps, but you can only elevate so high when you're sleeping on your side. So like you know, and that's the only thing I can do now. And then during the day, like trying to keep your elbows higher than your wrist. So like making sure I'm not like typing like this because then my hands would fall asleep and they would start to hurt. Myofascial release has been really helpful. My chiropractor, I feel like I talked about my chiropractor so much the last podcast. I mean, that's been like the best thing I've done for myself. This whole pregnancy is seeing Webster-based chiropractor. I cannot recommended enough. That also helped a lot with the pubic pain, um, as far as like my pelvis positioning, but I will say like the pelvic floor PT actually working on the pubic bone was what really did it. But working on my pelvic bone kind of positioning throughout, uh, I think that helped like minimize it. And that's why I didn't notice it till the very end. Um, but yeah, my chiropractor would do like myofascial release and he like pulls on gently, you know, stretching that fascial layer. That really helps. I make my husband do that pretty much every single day too. Scraping has really helped that my chiropractor will do that when I go. I go once a week now. I would have done that sooner. I just had like a really busy schedule and it's like 35 minutes away. But next time, well, I don't know if I'll live here next time I'm pregnant, but if I did, I would just like 
put it in my schedule, like book months in advance and just block everything off (laughs) because it's worth it. So the chiropractor would do like scraping, some myofascial release of my arms and hands, just like getting that top layer of the skin like stretched a little bit before he would do the scraping. I have like a gua sha tool that I'll use at home on my forearms. That really helps. I mostly do it in the morning because that's like when my hands hurt. Like now they're fine because it's later in the day. But after I wake up in the morning, they just hurt. Um, I did get these wrist things though that you can sleep in. And now I don't wake up at night, which is great. So like pretty much I would, I was waking up every single night for like a week and I'm like, this is terrible. What do I do? My chiropractor was like, my wife had carpal tunnel. One of her pregnancies, these wrist guards really helped her. He's like, I have no idea why, (laughs) like it doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know if maybe it's just like the pressure that it's putting so the fluid like can't build up. I just got them at CVS. They were like $35 each, but I'll tell you what, those are the best $70 I've ever spent. And I'm going to save them in case it happens again in the future. But yeah, it was like night and day. I didn't think they were going to work. I put them on and then I was like, I woke up. I'm like, oh my God, I slept through the night. My hands still hurt in the morning. So that's when I would do the gua sha tool um, after just like pulling them a little bit for that myofascial release. And then they were, they're fine the rest of the day. So carpal tunnel is definitely not fun, but it's basically, it's usually not happening till towards the end when you have more fluid. So, and it's weird because I'm not retaining fluid. So I was kind of confused as to like why, but there's not really any reason. So at least that I've been able to find. And then let me see. Oh, progesterone can help too. So like some people think it's a hormone imbalance. Again, I couldn't find any information, research studies that would really prove this. And I did take progesterone for a good amount of my pregnancy. But one of the things that helped initially when I was still like 34, 35 weeks before I found the wrist things, I was like, oh, I was looking online. I'm like, okay, maybe it's an estrogen dominance thing. So I added in progesterone. It did help, but it didn't completely go away. And now that I'm 37 weeks, I don't want to take progesterone because it can mess with labor. So that's what I've done for the carpal tunnel. And that's really like, I would say like the wrist guards were honestly number one. And then just like trying to be mindful during the day with like your posture and not letting your elbows go below your hands like that. Those have been really helpful. And if you can get a good massage therapist, like it helps, but I will say the massage is like short lived, (laughs) you know, like I think the scraping and the myo and the uh, myofascial release are like much more at least like you can get relief for like a whole day or a couple days. But yeah, so let's go through some of the questions from Instagram. Some of these answers will be longer than others. Like how am I preparing for labor? That's going to be a bit of a longer one, but I'm going to try to be quick on these so I can get through them all. How am I preparing for labor? I had a lot of this. I had some mentally, some physically, so I'm just putting it all under one category. I would say number one, I have been educating myself a lot. So I did, I'm doing a home birth. I met with the birth assistant, Jenny, and she did like a whole class with me and my husband and went through like, here's what to expect. Here's what can go wrong at a home birth. And then here are the different solutions that we have. Here's what it looks like if you have to transfer. Lots of stuff like that. And honestly, to me, that was, it was just like a huge relief because it's kind of like, here are all the things that can happen. Here's what we're going to do so that if that does happen in the moment, I won't, I don't think I will be scared because I'll already know what to expect. And they spend a lot of time going through like different scenarios. So for me, 
that was like a huge mental relief. We also did a childbirth education course that was more like your standard one. I really just wanted my husband because I had already done like the pain-free birth course and stuff. I have a good idea of like the stages of labor. And I just felt like that was the one thing that he was missing. And we hadn't really gone through a ton yet. The childbirth class was really helpful for that. It also went through like comfort measures and it had a lot of partner exercises and of like things my husband can do. And we actually practice them so that, I mean, I'm going to have a doula there and she's obviously going to probably tell us to do some of these things, but it'll be nice if like she says something and we're like, oh yeah, we did that. Like we know how to do it versus like learning it for the first time when you're in labor, probably not like the most fun. We did a lot of that, the childbirth class too. A lot of it was really more like hospital based. So like some of it didn't necessarily apply all the anatomy stuff, the different stages of labor, kind of like what to expect and stuff that was really helpful. And then I did go through that pain-free birth course, which I just really enjoyed learning about all the different hormones and just, she just has a really nice perspective and like a positive perspective on birth, which is to me has been like very important. And that's one of the things a lot of my friends that have had kids have shared with me is like, listen to positive birth stories. Cause there are so many not so positive birth stories out there. Um, that the reason I just, one of the big reasons I decided to do a home birth was because I was there for my younger sister's birth and it was like very traumatic. Uh, and I was pretty much terrified to go to a hospital after that. Um, and so we ended up deciding to do a home birth, but trying to listen to more positive stories. So like supernatural childbirth is a great book. I have the audiobook version. And so I, I'll just like listen to that while I'm working out or doing stuff around the house, going for a walk. And it's been really nice to hear those stories. Cause it's like, I think there's gotta be a balance. You have to know, especially I feel like if you're doing a home birth, actually no, even more in a hospital, like you have to know like what the hospital's policies are, what decision you're going to make if X, Y, Z happens, all that kind of stuff. Um, but for home birth, it's like, here's what, what could possibly go wrong? What are you going to do in that situation? What is, you know, it's all about autonomy. So it's like, what choice do you think you want to make? Obviously that could change, but at least having a plan and thinking about it, but then balancing that with like really positive stories and even like good positive affirmations of like, you know, that you can have a good birth. One of the minds, other mindset things I have been like an affirmation that I will say to myself, and this is one that I've just thought it's basically just come to my mind constantly since I found out I got pregnant. And that is that my body is designed to do this. She already knows how to do this and I will follow her lead. Like that is my thought process going into birth. And it's something that's like really important to me. Like I want all the feedback and help from my midwife and my doula and the birth assistant, Jenny. But I also want to tune in because my body does already know how to give birth. It's designed to do this. It's literally what I was put on this planet for. So it is one of those things where I'm trying to trust it because it's easy to like over analyze and get nervous and just like not trust yourself or your body. Um, I know like I definitely felt that way many times on my healing journey, like constantly looking to other experts and outsourcing things when in reality, it's like, I probably know what's going on. I just need to slow down, stop looking up different things and researching and tune in and figure out what does my body need. And that's one of the cool things that from both of the birth classes that we took, one theme that they really stressed that I just really appreciated was that your body's going to intuitively 
get into certain positions. You're going to move and you're not even going to know why you're doing it. It's just going to feel good and you're going to want to do it. And that's what you have to like really tune into. And so instead of thinking like, what position am I going to do next? It's like, what, what does your body want to do? What do you feel like doing right now? And that's something that I really just want to follow and bring with me. So that's kind of been my affirmation. I also think there's a lot of fear around pregnancy and like nutrition and supplements and birth in general. And so it's like trying to like block all of that out and be like, okay, if I know I'm designed to do this, I know how to do this. My baby knows how to do this. <laughs> like, I, And I just will try to not get in the way pretty much is my goal. <laughs> so that's kind of what I've been doing mindset wise. Um, I have been doing some perineal massage. Honestly, mostly my husband does it because I don't know how people reach uh, when your belly's that big at this point. But that's one thing they went through in one of the childbirth classes was like starting to do that. Not a ton. You don't want to overdo it, but it's basically like the bottom two thirds of the opening of your vagina that you can just like gently massage. It's supposed to, it's been shown to help reduce tearing. I do also plan on doing vaginal steaming, which I will link a podcast episode that I did with Kit from Katara all about vaginal steaming. And she talks about how you can do it during pregnancy a bit there and then postpartum. And I do plan to do both. And so the the steaming has also been shown to help with tearing because of the lubrication that it helps to provide. So between that and the perineal massage, I'm really hoping that we're not going to tear. Um, but also, I mean, first and second degree tears heal very easily. And it's, I mean, it's something that is considered somewhat normal. Obviously, I don't want anything beyond that because that's like, you typically have to go to the hospital and it's super painful and it's, and it can involve your pelvic floor and you have to see a PT after. So that's what we're doing to try to prevent some tearing, but I'm also going to try to be very patient during birth. Uh, and that kind of leads me to the last thing I've been doing to prepare is trying to relax, which probably in like outside of like sleeping and that sort of thing, like trying to practice just relaxing. Cause I'm definitely like, a, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. I usually have like a mile long to-do list um, and I'm trying to always get things done. Whereas I feel like since pretty much 34 weeks, I've been like really craving like slowing down and resting and then like just enjoying myself more, cuddling my dogs, which we have all three over here. And so that's one thing. And that was a piece of advice that I got was like practice relaxing, especially like in positions that can be helpful for birth like certain like laboring positions, if you, especially if you're like tired and you're like, I need to rest, but I also want to help the baby get in an optimal position. There is a home birth online course that I will link in the notes there. She has a podcast too. It's like escaping me <laughs> the name. I think it's just home birth podcast. She's got a podcast, but she also has an online course and the course was really helpful for, I mean, it had, it's basically like the home birth course that I did with my um, birth assistant, Jenny, but it was, it's nice because it's broken up into bite-sized videos and she has a whole, th a whole thing on like relaxing. And I was like, Oh, that's really good. One of my friends also mentioned that to me was like, I wish I spent more time chilling out before my baby came because it was kind of like going a million miles an hour. She also has her own business trying to get everything in place for maternity leave, which that has been stressful. And I, We'll probably talk a little bit about that at the end, but, um, and give some tips for other entrepreneurs out there, but yeah, just trying to relax using music, 
um, getting a birth playlist together and listening to that while relaxing so that my body, once I start playing that music, it will, it, my brain pathways will already be built so that it's like, okay, this music plays, we're in this position, we relax. And then that can be really helpful when you're laboring if you need rest, but you still want to be like somewhat productive. And then my Zen device. So I had Amy Brandon on from, they make that Zen product. It's like that goes in your ear. It puts out electrical impulses. It's really cool. I've been using it since I was first. I think I met Amy like right after I got pregnant and she, they sent me one and she did my mineral course. It was a fun little exchange. Yeah. So that was the one other aspect of the relaxation I've been working on is using my Zen device from Nuvana. I had Amy Brannon on. She is one of the founders of the Zen device and it's all about like you know, stimulating your vagus nerve. It puts out electrical impulses. I don't have it with me, but we showed it on the podcast that I did with her. And it's just like a little headphone that goes in your ear. There's an app on your phone. I really enjoy the Zen device. And it's one of those things where I've done it so many times now. And I listen to like different meditations and stuff when I do it, that once I put that little ear piece in my ear, I do tend to relax because that's what my brain has used to. I've built those pathways. So I think using the Zen device, listening to that playlist I've been working on, it's got to be like they recommend three plus hours. I haven't quite hit that. So I'm like still adding songs to it, trying to be intentional about the different, the music that I'm adding. So it's taken a while trying to do that, laying those positions for like 20 minutes. And I'm not like a napper. I don't like to like chill out like that. So that has been challenging for me, but it's gotten easier and easier the further along that I get. Cause obviously it's like, you're tired. <laughs> you know, I've been growing a human for nine months. So I do think that's going to serve me very well during labor, especially since it's like, you know, if you, if I've been going a million miles an hour for nine months, how am I supposed to expect my body to relax when it's stressed and trying to give birth? Hey, Amanda here, just giving you a quick break, hopefully a a break for your brain in the middle of this podcast episode to remind you that if you haven't gone through our free training, Optimizing Hormone Health Through Mineral Balance, we really do recommend starting there. And the main reason for that is because you're going to hear us say things like mineral foundation, having a solid foundation, are you putting the foundations in place, especially what was we get deeper and deeper into different hormonal topics and specific imbalances in the body, the, the mineral foundation it's always going to be so essential. So if you haven't watched the free training, you can find it in our show notes or you can go to hormonehealingrd.com and it's going to be right on that front page there. But we really recommend starting there so that you can understand how is your current mineral status? How do you assess this and how to get started with all that just so you can get as much as you possibly can out of the rest of the podcast episodes. But that's it. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So when it comes to steaming for during pregnancy, basically there's so many benefits. It's great for like lubrication. It can help prevent tearing, but it can also help start labor. So I met with Kit. I did a consult with her. I think I was like 32 weeks. I was like, when do I start steaming? Like, I don't, you know, she's like, don't start until you know you want to have the baby just in case you go and you do go into labor like soon after everyone is very different with how they respond to steaming in labor. But she said some people, it kickstarts things right away. Um, and others, they'll steam 
every day or twice a day for like a week and then they'll go into labor. So I'm hoping that I don't go into labor immediately because I want to get the lubrication benefits from it for the tearing piece. It's just really relaxing. I love steaming. I miss doing it. So I'm planning on starting around like April 27th. My due date is May 3rd. I would start it sooner, but my husband is taking a promotion exam for his job. So he's like, please don't do it before April 27th, just in case. So I'm going to wait until then. And then most women go like a week and a day past their due date for their first baby. That's like the average. So then maybe I'll get like a few days of steaming in. Maybe I'll get a week of steaming in. But that's what I plan to start doing. And she has specific blends like on her website on Katara. I'll put the one for pregnancy on there. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's like it's like a lubrication blend of herbs basically. And so it helps with that um in prepping for labor. So that's how I'm preparing in all the different ways for labor. Another question I got this is a good one. Has it been hard to eat full meals? So I was initially when I got these questions, I was like it's not that bad, but I would say I really thought about it in about a week ago, like if I can still eat the full meal. So like first trimester and like a few weeks into second trimester, I was having to eat very small meals, which is pretty common. Um, I would say pretty much everyone has to do that. And it, they just like weren't as satisfying. And then once I got to like 18 weeks, I was able to eat like really big meals again, get way more food in, in general. And I felt so much better. And now it's kind of like I have to be very strategic. So it's just those meals are taking longer to digest, which makes sense. Everything is squished, right? Everything's slowed down a little bit more. So I just have to be really on time with my meals and I can't skip a snack or I can't wait too long to eat a big meal because then it's going to like go. It basically makes it so that I can't have the snack I was intending on having because I'm still too full and things have not digested completely. Like last Friday we had like our birth, one of our birth classes that we took, it went longer than we anticipated. And I didn't have a snack with me. And so then I had to eat like a really big dinner and I couldn't have another bedtime snack. So I clearly did not eat enough that day. And then I woke up at 3am and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm going to be so on top of it. I would say like, yes, I'm eating big meals, but I'm, it's more like the meal timing that I have to be careful about because they take longer to digest. Okay. And then someone asked, have you been testing hemoglobin or any other labs? How do you keep hemoglobin high enough for a home birth? And then another person asked about like vitamin and mineral levels, making adjustments. So I have been testing hemoglobin throughout my midwife has done it once each trimester. I had an appointment this morning and she, so that was like my third trimester hemoglobin. Today it was 12.3. It was like 13.9 or eight at the beginning. And then it went down to 13.5, but it didn't really drop a ton. I was like, man, my hemoglobin's still really high. Like what's going on? I was kind of surprised. It's supposed to go down. It's, it's very natural, especially like third trimester at the end, you get another increase in estrogen you get more blood volume, this dilutes your hemoglobin. So hemoglobin is supposed to decrease. I think that there's just a lot of concern around like hemoglobin is basically how they're assessing your iron. And if it gets too low, the concern is that you there is a chance that you could have more bleeding at your birth. And for home birth, a lot of midwives or providers, they won't 
let you do a home birth if your hemoglobin isn't above a certain level. The level depends on the person. I would say for most midwives, it's between 10.5 and 11 that they don't want your hemoglobin below. Um, my My midwife has not cared. Uh, she's also educated around copper and vitamin A. And she, she, even with her practice, she's like, your hemoglobin should drop. It's it's supposed to drop if it doesn't drop, like how, you know, it's not really natural or possible that it's not going to decrease because your blood volume is increasing. So, um, luckily like she's pretty chill with that. My levels have been great. So I haven't had to worry about it, but I was like relieved to see that it dropped more in the third trimester. And like today was 12.3. Cause I'm kind of like, am I like, have, do I have a ton of excess iron? Cause 70% of your irons in your hemoglobin. I'm like, am I like so inflamed right now? Just cause the eczema and everything and the carpal tunnel, you know, you just like never know. So I was like, okay, cool. It's, it's gone down. I'm going to link an article from the root cause protocol and they go through how he like why hemoglobin decreases, how lower levels can have actually been shown to be beneficial as far as birth weight goes. That's the other thing that they're like, oh, if your hemoglobin drops to low, it's, you have like an increased risk. The conventional thought process is there's an increased risk of bleeding um, and hemorrhaging at birth, and then there's like a low birth weight. But there's actually been research that's shown the opposite. Um, and again, like I don't. There, it's like you can you can take certain things as a precaution, whether you're doing a home birth or a hospital birth for bleeding. Um, and always take your health history into account. I just feel like for myself in particular, I'm like, I don't, I'm not worried about my hemoglobin levels. Um, and typically they'll just tell you to supplement iron if it's not high enough. And it's like, well, that's not the issue. That <laughs> if you have a low hemoglobin and it's because you have other nutrient deficiencies, it's a copper and a vitamin A issue. And it's you probably had that going on prior to conceiving. And then when we think about pregnancy, we use up so much copper and so much vitamin A. And so you could get further depleted and that drops your hemoglobin. But even like in the article, I'm gonna link, it's like 9.5. To 10.5 is considered like optimal for third trimester hemoglobin, whereas many providers would say that's too low. So you have to work with your provider, um, especially because someone asks, like, how do you get high enough for home birth? You need to know what is that standard for your provider. I have been taking beef liver prior to pregnancy, my whole pregnancy, and I have been taking cod liver oil throughout. I tested my retinol levels. I talked about that in the last podcast. I haven't retested them third trimester. They hadn't changed in like eight months. So I was kind of like, I'm not going to retest. Um, I am going to redo my thyroid labs on Thursday. So I'll, I'll do a postpartum episode and talk about that. I talked all about my thyroid and iodine in the previous episode pregnancy one that I did. So I'll link that in the show notes. And I did a hair test halfway through pregnancy. I am going to do another one, like probably in a couple weeks, like right before my due date. So I want to get it as close as I can. So basically I did one before I conceived halfway through and I'll do another one right at the end. And then I'll share that all those findings in my postpartum episode. I just feel like if something is not going to change what I'm doing right now, I'm not going to do the test because it's just it's, it's another thing to do when I already have enough to do. Sometimes more information is not always helpful. And it's like, it's another expense, right? It's like 
doing like if I do another full Monty, like nothing's going to change at this point. I'm about to have a baby. I'm not necessarily going to change any supplements. I've continued to take cod liver oil the whole time because my vitamin A was, it pretty much stayed the same, but it was still somewhat low or not optimal. And I do think that cod liver oil has helped with hemoglobin. There's been studies to show that cod liver oil can help raise hemoglobin. So I think between the beef liver, cod liver oil, those are really helpful. If you have low copper, like say you did a hair test or you've done blood work that shows your copper is low, you can add more than just beef liver. You can consider taking like a liquid chlorophyll. That's going to have a good amount of copper in it. The the thing is we just have to have vitamin A to use copper. So if you're only getting copper from plants, like if maybe you're doing more chocolate, more chlorophyll, that sort of thing, if you're not also getting vitamin A, your body's not going to use it as well. And that would not help hemoglobin. So I think if you can consider those three things, especially if you have low hemoglobin, I've seen them be very helpful for different women that I've worked with. Third trimester constipation. I have not had any, but I'm also... I get a ton of potassium in potassium. I've seen be like a miracle for those that struggle with constipation. So adrenal cocktails, right? They have potassium in them, potatoes, fruit, squash, all those things are dairy, great sources of potassium. I eat a lot of those foods. I don't do a ton of like starchy, like grains. I just find that like I get more heartburn with those in pregnancy, which I haven't really had any heartburn since adding in more bicarbonate. So I I put magnesium bicarbonate in my adrenal cocktails. I'll link my Instagram post that has the recipe for that in the show notes. Um, and so then you'll, you'll get to see how I make them. It's, it's just your regular adrenal cocktail. You just add a little bit of magnesium bicarbonate. I've seen that be really helpful for myself with heartburn and also consistent bowel movements. I also love aloe vera juice. I'll use that. I use that a lot. My first trimester in my adrenal cocktails, the inner leaf one that can be great for having regular bowel movements. If you do any research on aloe vera juice, they say that it's contraindicated in pregnancy. It's because if you're doing too much, you can get loose stools and that can cause dehydration. If you are struggling with constipation, I'm guessing that you will not be dealing with loose stools from it, but either way, just go slow. Like start with like an ounce or two and you can like slowly increase it. I don't typically see aloe vera as being something that fixes it right away. So you, I would say you'd want to drink it daily for at least like a few days and then squatty potty and pelvic floor breathing. Oh, that's another thing I've done to prep for labor is pelvic floor breathing. I, I think I talked about that more in the last episode, but still do lots of pelvic floor breathing every single day. Whenever I work out, I'm doing pelvic floor breathing, but sitting on on your toilet with a squatty potty, your feet up on the squatty potty, and then just trying to relax your pelvic floor, um, your belly's getting bigger and bigger the further along that you get, especially in third trimester. So that's a lot of weight and pressure on your pelvic floor. And so you might start to notice, like some women will notice they, they have more frequency of urination, obviously your bladder is squished. So that's going to happen, but you can get a tighter pelvic floor. You can get pain with sex, like all that kind of stuff. So trying to relax your pelvic floor, if constipation is becoming an issue for you, I would really consider doing that. Okay. Already, are you sharing the due date? I already said I'm May 3rd. Already any fear of getting high blood pressure or complications? I mean, I'm 37 weeks. So at this point I would say no, I didn't have fears going in, but I also like had things come up and I was, I was able to like find people to help me with them. And I just really trust my midwife. I have, I feel like I'm surrounded by a great 
healthcare team. And I think that that helps. So, and I, I mean, my background is women's health. If I did not have that, I would probably have some fears, but I've been really trying to trust my body and trust all the work I've done leading up to pregnancy to avoid that. Okay. Postpartum freezer meals. This is something that I was just talking to my husband about. So we're hopefully having her in May. It's already getting hot where we live in North Carolina. And I'm like, all the postpartum casseroles that you freeze just they do not sound appetizing to me right now. So I've been like having a hard time figuring out like, what the heck am I going to make? I think I'm going to make a couple. One thing I found, they're called super cubes and I'll link those in the show notes. Hopefully I remember. Um, and they're like these silicone cubes and that you, they're all different sizes, but it's nice because you can, so what I'm thinking is like, I'll probably make a couple casseroles, split them up into the silicone cube so that it's like a serving. My thing with the casseroles is if I defrost this whole thing and then I have to commit to eating it, if I don't want to eat it, I'm going to hate throwing that food away. So I saw these super cube things and I was like, this is genius. I, that's what I think I'm going to make a taco casserole and I have like a Southwestern casserole that's like ground beef, butternut squash, black beans, cheese, like tasty veggies and stuff like that. So I'll probably make those two casseroles and then like split them up in the super cubes and freeze them that way. I think I'm going to also smoke or make a ham. Uh, so I, I made ham this past weekend. I got one from Primal Pastures and it was like half of a ham. So it wasn't a whole ham, which was kind of nice because it was easy to cook and stuff. So we baked that and I chopped it up and that's been like lunches for the week. I'm like, I could eat this postpartum. It's easy. We could just defrost it not a big deal and like put it with other things. I normally, I don't mind eating the same thing over and over. I just feel like it's going to be like hot and I don't know what I'm going to feel like eating. So ham, couple of casseroles that I'll individually put in the super cube thing. So I don't have to commit to defrosting the whole thing. And I think I'm just going to make a ton of cooked fruit. I've been obsessed with cooked fruit lately. I don't know what the deal is, but I've been really loving it. So I think I'm going to make like a berry cobbler, cooked apples, cooked pears, cooked peaches, that sort of thing, and just freeze those. And then I can just defrost them quick. So that's kind of like my plan. Oh, and one other thing. So my friend, Lauren, we were best friends in high school. We recently like rekindled our relationship. Actually, like we're dating. Uh, we, we just like, we went to different colleges. We didn't, we were like stayed in touch, but like, we're not super close for a long time. And then I don't even know, like a year ago, we just started talking again. Oh, one of our really close friends passed away. Very tragic. It was really rough on both of us. And we like rekindled and started talking again after that. She's also pregnant and we're only like five weeks apart. So funny. We're both having girls. It's like, so I'm like, how does this, what are the odds? And she makes this product called smash cake. You've probably seen me share about it on Instagram. It's like these cake mixes, but you can make muffins with them. You can make cupcakes. It's like all kinds of cool stuff. But all you do is mix a banana and like milk in. Same thing with the frosting. I mean, you can mix it with whatever. They're meant for little kids. It's like a healthy alternative to cake and stuff like that for kids. But they're very easy to, to like put together and make. So I got a bunch of them. And one thing I'm going to experiment with I'm going to make them ahead of time, at least like the cake part, maybe not the frosting, but the cake part. And like, I'm going to experiment with adding casein protein to it so that it's like a really easy snack that I can eat with one hand. And then the frosting, she was telling me how she makes it for her son into like a pudding. 
and that it's like the best thing ever. So again, I'm going to do the same thing. Take the frosting, mix it with casein, maybe some other mineral rich stuff and make like a mineral pudding. So I'm going to experiment with those beforehand, but I do plan to have that stuff as well. So that's kind of my postpartum plan for food right now. I'm sure it will change, but it's like a good time of year to eat lots of fruit and like smoothies and stuff like that. So we'll see. Any nasal congestion? No, I've had some allergies. Like I've never had them before, but I've also never lived in North Carolina. So I did get like some sneezing and stuff, but nothing like too crazy. I do take iodine every day, which helps with histamine. It prevents histidine from turning into histamine. I'm going to do a whole episode in iodine. You guys just wait. Uh, And then I got that humidifier and that definitely helped. Okay. Biggest changes I've made in the third trimester. Has nutrition changed at all? I kind of already talked about this. I just like meal timing has to be like very, very specific so that I don't wait too long to eat because I can't eat a ton. I can't eat a big meals too consistently anymore. I have added in more smoothies. Again, if you follow me, you know, I make mineral smoothies and they're delicious. I didn't want them for a really long time in pregnancy. Like I did have them first trimester, but then in like winter and stuff, I was like, eh, I wasn't really into it. And I'll link, I'll link the recipe for that in the show notes, but I have added those in. Those have been just like so helpful, especially for getting more calories in is like I've gotten further along. It's like, you just need way more food. And for me, I notice I don't sleep as well if I'm not eating enough, which is just like a nightmare. So that has really helped. How uncomfortable is third trimester, better or worse than the first? So if if you listen to the beginning of this episode, you probably think it's very uncomfortable. It's not that bad. I just happened to like get eczema, pubic symphysis pain, and carpal tunnel. Not everyone's going to experience those things. I would say like the biggest thing is just adjusting to having such a big belly and like your posture and stuff like that was a huge adjustment. It's being so mindful, like while I'm lifting, um, but it's like fun. It's fun to have the big belly too. So it's like a mix. I think it's more fun than the first trimester because first trimester, like you're like, is anything happening? Like I'm tired and I have to constantly eat and swim, and you're like barely pregnant and you can't, well, you can tell people, but you're, you know, it's the societal norm is to not tell anyone until like you get out of the first trimester. So you're like holding in this secret. It's like a whole thing. So I think third trimester is a lot more fun. Um, and I get to meet my baby very soon. Whereas like first trimester, you're just like, man, I, this is going to take forever. So for me, I think it's been fun, although it has been a little more uncomfortable. Okay. What about core temp changes at the onset of labor? Are you taking your temperature? So I did start taking my temperature. I've used a temp drop and I'll link that in the notes, but basically for the temp drop, it's just an armband that you wear around your arm. It measures your temperature all night. You could just use a basal body thermometer. My, I haven't been as consistent with my sleep schedule. Like if I can sleep later, I sleep later because I really love sleep right now. So I, I, if I were to have like an hour variance taking my oral thermometer temperature. It would probably be like up and down all day. The temp drop makes it so they're more consistent. I have not seen like a ton of changes in my temperature yet. I'm also only 37 weeks. So we'll see. It's supposed to be in mammals. Your temperature drops before you give, you go into labor. So that's like the benefit of tracking it is that if you see a drop, you can kind of expect labor. Maybe it will start soon. There's not a ton of scientific research on humans and body temperature though. So I feel like I'm going to share like what my findings are postpartum, but we'll see. I I'm like very curious to see if it will show me anything. 
any specific foods for labor. They do talk about dates, right? They say they can eating, having like, I think it's like three to six dates a day can be helpful in preparing for labor. Um, so I am doing dates and I'm going to link my chocolate collagen bites recipe in the show notes. That's how I'm getting them in because they're delicious. Um, again, it's also an easy snack. So I've been like, so on top of the food and the snacks to make sure I'm eating enough. And so I'll do the, the chocolate date balls. I've been using casein protein. You can use collagen, whatever you want. And then I'll have that with milk. And that's a really great snack and it's delicious. One ball has about one and a half dates in it for the recipe I'm sharing. And so I'll do two of those a day and get my three dates a day in. But that's really the only thing I'm, I'm just trying to eat enough and sleep enough. Okay. How do you keep from gaining too much weight? That has not been my focus. You're supposed to gain weight during pregnancy. My honestly, I feel like I've had a hard time eating enough during pregnancy and I have consistently gained weight. My first trimester, I had lost weight. I just could not keep up food wise with my metabolism. It just was not happening. And it was hard because I was eating such small meals. I was like, this is torture to get enough calories in. So after that scared me. So after that, I was like really trying as hard as I could to make sure I was consistently gaining weight. I think it's just like, if you're eating real whole foods, that's, that should be the main focus and just eating enough and looking at your other symptoms. Like, are you sleeping well? Because you could be, I mean, I guess you could be gaining weight and not sleeping well and actually be under eating, but I feel like it would be difficult to gain too much weight during pregnancy. If, if you're eating like real whole foods and trying to like time those things, that being said, everyone is different and like, you might not be able to eat as much and you're still gaining a significant amount of weight. I think just trust that your body is trying to grow a life and carry everything through. I mean, you're, you're burning up so many minerals, you're using so many nutrient stores when pregnant and you're, it is a stressful state. Your body's working hard for nine months and then postpartum it's even working even harder if you're breastfeeding or even if you're not breastfeeding, you burn even more nutrients postpartum. So I just have not really focused on that. Honestly, if anything, I've been trying to make sure I'm consistently gaining. Um, and so is my midwife, which has been nice. What do you do for swelling water retention? I haven't really had any water retention. I did, I would say probably like thir- since like 35, 36 weeks, I noticed a little bit of swelling in my feet by the end of the day. Like if I'm running around a lot, I realized I need to increase my adrenal cocktails again, if you can believe it or not. <laughs> I just like didn't think I could drink this many adrenal cocktails, but that helped. And then doing more inversions. So one thing, it's called the three sisters from spinning babies. One of the movements is an inversion. They're all meant to help with baby positioning. I also have been doing spinning babies pretty much every day. Same thing that I did talk about last podcast. So they have like one of them's an inversion. So I've been trying to do like more inversions and I'll put my feet up the wall, that sort of thing. But honestly, adding in more adrenal cocktails, like I added in another one, my friend Robin, she started a, it's like a mineral powder company. It's called Ravy. I'll put the link in the show notes. She makes this powder. It's super simple. It high potassium. I just add a little bit of sea salt to it. And that's like another adrenal cocktail. So I've been making my limeade adrenal cocktails because I'm still obsessed with them. And then I'll do one and a half tablespoons of the ravy powder with about a quarter teaspoon of sea salt on top of that. I've also been like working out outside and it's starting to get warm here in North Carolina. So I feel like I've been sweating a little bit more. So that could be 
I probably need more sodium. That's what I've done, but I really haven't had a ton of swelling. Thank God. Are you tired all the time? Any tips for a pregnant student mama? So if I'm getting enough sleep and I'm eating enough, I feel great. <laughs> it's when I'm not prioritizing those things or if like, I mean, life happens. Like I had a bunch of family here for my baby shower last weekend. I traveled to Myrtle Beach to hang out with one of my friends. It was like, I, I did not get enough sleep for like four nights in a row. I, it was hard to stay on top of eating because I was tired. So those are the times where I'm like, I have got to slow down and just do the basics. And I think it's really tempting to want to skip that kind of stuff. But no matter what, it's like, no matter what season of my healing journey I'm in, if I'm pregnant, if I'm trying to conceive, I'm sure it's going to be the same when I'm postpartum or when I came off birth control 10 years ago, or when I was struggling with my thyroid health after the copper ID, like it doesn't matter what season I'm in. It's always going to be, are you sleeping enough? Are you doing too much? Are you too stressed out? And are you eating enough? And if I work on those things, then I, for the most part, feel really good. And a lot of it's just been like saying no, which has been just challenging for me. I, I want to help all everyone that I possibly can. I want to be there for all my friends and family, help other practitioners, that sort of thing. But it's just gotten to the point where I'm like, I can't, I, I don't have enough hours in the day. And I just really want to enjoy these last few weeks. If you're a student mom and you're pregnant, um, really try to say no, only do the essentials. And I just communicated it and just said like, Hey, I just don't have the bandwidth right now. Like, I'm sorry. Like, and reminding people that you're pregnant. I think people just forget everyone has so much going on. They have their own stuff, their own stressors. They could easily just forget and be like reaching out to you and asking you for things where if they had remembered like, oh my gosh, she's 37 weeks pregnant. I should not be texting her about this. And as soon as you say it, they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I didn't mean like just go relax or whatever. And they're like, it, so it's, it's hard because it requires communication and putting boundaries up. But I think if you can just explain like, listen, I would love to do help you with X, Y, Z, or maybe you wouldn't, you can tell them that too, but putting those boundaries up and trying to reserve more space for yourself. Cause it's like you, it sounds like you have a lot going on with being a student and being pregnant. That's a lot. So just make sure you're taking care of yourself and focus on those minimums, those foundations. I just don't think you'll ever go wrong with that. Did I do the traditional glucose test? I did not. I tracked my blood sugar for three days. I did a food journal. And then I, that's what I gave to my midwife. So I did not have to do the glucose test. Are you doing the other required testing? So I did anything that's required for a hospital. The main reason I chose to do that, even though we're having a home birth, is because I wanted to make sure that if I have to transfer, all the testing is done. Especially for something like group B strep. I did that test today and I didn't get the results back yet. But basically... For group B strep, if you don't, if you decline the test, which you don't have to do for a home birth, depending on your provider, but I would say most of them are not going to force you to do it. Then, it, but say I had to transfer to the hospital for an emergency, then if I have, if I don't have a test result, they base a lot of hospitals assume you're positive. And so then if I had to get a C section or something, or if I was, say I need an epidural, like I just needed to rest, and then I was going to try to do a vaginal birth they would, some will require antibiotics during that time. So that's why I ended up doing all of them. Okay. Last couple ones. How active are you? I'm still working out three to four days a week. My weights have come way down and I just listen to my body and I don't 
If I don't feel like working out, I just do spinning babies and I call it a day. But I feel better when I'm more active for sure. And I work the spin babies daily essentials into my warm up. So basically, if I if I do the spinning babies daily essentials and I'm like, I don't feel like working out now. I just don't force it, but my workouts are not like that hard right now. They're not super intense. So it's nothing that I, that would stress my body out too much. Now it's just more of like, would I rather sleep or would I rather work out if my schedule's really busy that day? So it just depends on like, did I go to bed early enough? That sort of thing. Best maternity clothing brand you've found. What? A, okay. They're asking for leggings, leggings, sports bras, and then dresses. Okay. So Kindred Bravely is an amazing maternity brand. And I have loved their leggings. They, they, they go all the way above the belly. I really like that. And they make shorts too, like the biker shorts. So I love those. I love their sports bras. They're like, they're nice because you can wear them now, but they're also like can be nursing sports bras for later. And then their pajamas. <laughs> they, I, they have like bamboo pajamas that are so soft. I got some like regular, like longer ones for winter time when like around Christmas when it was like colder here. And I recently got some nightgowns that are also like for nursing too. Cause I was like, I want to be comfortable, but I also want to like, like what I'm wearing postpartum and things with easy access. Cause like, if I'm just wearing like big t-shirts all the time, like it's just not as convenient. So these have like a little on the nightgown. It's like a, it clips on and it can easily clip off for breastfeeding. What else do I like? There's those are like the biggest things I've tried. I also got some really great sports bras from pink blush and then dresses. So like my dress for my baby showers from there. I got a couple of other cute dresses from there. Like they've just been great for the big bump. And then what else did I like? Oh, I got some tank tops for them, like very stretchy tank tops that are just like kind of like neutrals, like basics. I was trying to get things where I'm like, I want to be comfortable now. It's getting warmer out. And most of my maternity clothes are for winter. I also wanted things that I could wear postpartum. Cause that's the thing. A lot of people are like, don't get maternity clothes. Like you'll only wear them for this long. I'm like, what about, what about after you, right after you have the baby? Like I'm not going to be wearing my regular clothes right away. That was something that I put some thought into. They have really comfortable shorts from pink blush too. They're more of like around the house kind of shorts. Uh, like they're like sweatpants material with the shorts and they go above the belly. So I would, those are the two places that I like the most. I got some stuff from motherhood maternity, but it just like didn't last super long. Like I, I feel like I like wore them or, or like already wore them out and they had, I got underwear from pink blush too, I believe. Yeah. And those were great. So those are the two brands I recommend. I do have a coupon code for kindred bravely. I'll put it in the show notes. It's just hormone healing RD, but their stuff is like very high quality. It's more expensive, but it's like everything I've just worn a million times and you can't tell which is really nice. And I feel like those leggings are going to last me forever. And that's one thing, like I wanted leggings that went over the belly. They're not too tight because that's important for your pelvic floor health, especially postpartum. So those were kind of like all things I was taking into consideration. So that is my very long third, third trimester kind of like update. Um, I will do another update postpartum where I'll talk about I'll share my birth story. I have a, pre- a breastfeeding episode that's going to come out 
season three. Um, the podcast will take a break while I'm on maternity leave for a couple months, but then we'll resume and we'll have lots of great content for you guys. We still have a few more episodes this season. We're not wrapping up yet, but I have a great one coming out on dental health. I have a strength training one coming out that a lot of you have requested. And then I have my iodine episode where I'm going to go all into iodine, what it is, the history, how we used to use iodine, deficiencies, all that kind of stuff. Something I've gotten a lot of questions about. So I'm excited to share that with all of you, but I hope you enjoyed this. Let me know, tag me on Instagram at hormone healing RD, share the episode in your stories. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway was and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Are You Menstrual podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review and sharing the podcast with someone you think it will help. If you are new here, we can't recommend enough to start with our mineral imbalance quiz. This is going to give you an idea if you are at low, moderate, or high risk for mineral imbalances. And then of course, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Hormone Healing RD and consider signing up for our newsletter. If you like nerding out and you are just loving these podcasts, but maybe you're a little bit more visual and you want to see things too. We go into a ton of detail in our weekly newsletter. So we would love to have you join us there. All right. Thank you. And we will see you in the next episode.